Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. 60 minutes of insight and analysis on the volunteers and Titans. This is the Tennessee Power Hour with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. The balls open with a win, and the Titans suffer the loss of one of their top players. Welcome to the Tennessee Power Hour, served up by Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey, a half hour each on the balls and Titans and a jam-packed 60 minutes to get you ready for kickoff. I'm Jonathan Hutton with Chad Withrow. It is uh, it's a great week. NFL Week 1, Titans and Giants this coming Sunday at Nissan Stadium, and the Vols now in preparation for the Panthers of Pitt. We got to have a show where we previewed a college football weekend hut. Now we have one where we get to recap and preview a little bit of both in this week's show. So this is one of my favorite weeks of the year. Coming off that big Labor Day weekend, getting geared up for some huge matchups in college football, but also kick off the NFL season. Can't wait. Coming up in 30 minutes, we'll preview the Titans and the Giants. We start, though, with the Tennessee Volunteers, now 1-0 after the win on ball, over the Ball State. Uh, it, 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 Chad, looking at that game and comparing it to what I saw from last year, I thought the offense was faster, believe it or not, in many cases. I don't know if that's because the Ball State defense was slow or not, but uh, your biggest takeaway from what Tennessee did in opening week. Well, it's tough not to compare it to the Thursday night game from the year before. We were actually at both games, Hutton. But against Ball State the year before, Tennessee got off to a fast, I think, 14 nothing start in that game and completely fizzled out in the second quarter. Didn't score a single point. They're up 14-6 to at halftime of that game. This one was really a different feeling to it. I mean, I know that it was a 32-point win over Ball State the previous year, but Tennessee never let up in this game. I wasn't expecting this to be a game in the second half. I also wasn't expecting 38 nothing at halftime of this game like we saw. Tennessee was very, very efficient. We're going to talk about efficiency versus the defense that Ball State was playing and what that meant in this game and what made me impre- maybe impressed me the most about this performance for Tennessee. But, I mean, coming right out of the gates, first two plays the game, they tried, Ball State tries the trick play, ill-advised, picked off by Tamarian McDonald. First offensive play of the day, 23-yard touchdown pass to Jalen Hyatt where he showed off some improved size, shakes off a tackle, bodies himself into the end zone. So that really set the tone for everything Tennessee was going to do. And the other thing is Neyland Stadium. You know, we were there. You want to talk about efficiency. I think what they did with the renovations of the stadium, very efficient. Nothing overly extravagant that I saw in terms of the adjustments to the stadium, but it all works really well. On down to the, the VOLS signs on both sides of the south end zone of the stadium. I thought everything looked great. Hutton crowd was really good and into it for a first game against a bad opponent. And Tennessee, they played the efficient part of a good major college program 
in game number one, and that's all you can ask for. My biggest takeaway is Brew McCoy and how immediately he's in the mix at the wide receiver spot. Not just, I shouldn't even say in the mix. I mean, he's he's the number two guy behind Cedric Tillman without question, and he's an upgrade over what they have that would have been there if he's not eligible. Three receptions, 42 yards, doesn't sound like a lot, but he is one of the big three. A year ago, they only played with three as the season went on. I think it was Jimmy Callaway that dropped a fourth down pass against Florida in the swamp, where Tennessee was right there late third quarter, had a chance to go down a tire, take the lead. Josh Heupel basically said, enough, went with three guys he trusted the rest of the way. I, I see right now for Tennessee... I know we're going to talk a lot about depth and I think seven different pass catchers in that first quarter alone for Hendon Hooker. I see a real big three right now emerging and Brew McCoy may be number two of that big three behind Cedric Tillman. He was impressive. Hutton, he looks like a tight end. I was field level at one point. Huge guy. Does not look like a wide receiver in a lot of ways. With that number 15, Falls fans will remember this. Reminds me a lot of Kelly Washington from a physicality standpoint. What did you notice from Hendon Hooker? I thought Hendon Hooker, honestly, is getting a lot of praise, and, and he should be. He was, he was again, efficiency is the word of the day. He was efficient in this game. I didn't think he was his best. I thought there were some perimeter throws that normally he makes very easily with no pressure, getting rid of the ball quickly to the boundary, letting guys make one guy miss and make a move. He was high on a couple of those throws. Even some of the ones that were caught – Guys were leaping in the air to catch it. Um, I didn't think he was at his best, but even not at his best, he's 18 for 25, 221 yards, two touchdowns, and two rushing touchdowns. Key stat running the ball. His longest run was a five-yard touchdown run. We're going to talk about Pitt and the game coming up in the next segment. That's going to have to change. He didn't have to run the ball in this game, and I'm glad he didn't. But those stats need to look very different because of the pressure Pitt's going to bring in game number two. It was almost a cons- an effort to stay in the pocket and deliver the football. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of a theme of what we saw from week one across the SEC in many ways, uh, where quarterbacks who are known for running or have been running more than what we saw in week one stayed in the pocket and delivered the football. And I, I don't know, I, I'm watching that game, and there's many times he could have grabbed 15 yards uh, of grass right, right in front of him didn't and I think that'll serve him down the path of this season um, and we'll get to one of the big keys for Hendon Hooker coming up it, defensively for Ball State though what jumped out about their strategy and why was it even more impressive that they scored 59 well they weren't going to give him anything over the top it was clear that Ball State going into this game said we are going to let Tennessee beat us 8 to 12 yards a chunk and not give up the big pass play Hendon Hooker did a good job. He had no pressure. I mean, there were times I'm thinking, is Ball State rushing anyone on this play? They rushed three. They dropped eight. They gave some different looks in the secondary. But Hutton, what they did was, they said, Hendon Hooker, here you go. Here are the easy passes to make. Now make them. And he did that all all night. He didn't try to force anything. He didn't try to throw the ball down the field when nothing was there. He went to the open receiver Those guys made people miss. I I was impressed with 59 in this game because this very easily could have been a 35 to nothing type game because the way Ball State was playing defense, not trying to do anything. 
not trying to force the issue at all, no blitzes, rushing three. Hendon Hooker did a great job of taking what was in front of him and driving Tennessee down the field. In many ways, both teams looked like they were playing seven on seven because Tennessee's pass rush didn't bring much either. They've got work to do. They do. Um, Now, a a big part of this is Ball State did a good job with their quarterback, Josh Paddock, of just getting rid of the ball very quickly. But no sacks against the Ball State Cardinals? Not going to cut it. Uh, This is a defense that has to force the issue. They were one of the nation's leaders for much of last season in tackles for loss. They only had two of them in this game. Ball State ran the ball effectively at times. Not a great sign. No real pass rush. Now, the first big play of the game, that was Aaron Beasley right in the face of the quarterback, making forcing that interception. So, there was some pressure, but no sacks. That's no bueno for Tennessee against the Ball State team. That should improve in week number two, the way Pittsburgh plays offense. They're going to have more opportunities to get to the quarterback. But I thought that that was a bit concerning coming out of this game. Tennessee's got to be better in the pass rush. And special teams. Uh, without Valus Jones, there is a noticeable difference in their return game. They, they haven't found their guy yet. Well, let's just start there. Um, I was very unimpressed with what they were doing. They didn't get a ton of opportunities. But what they did in kickoff return, what they did in punt return, it just is a good reminder of how special Valus Jones was a year ago in both regards, both punt and kick return for Tennessee. They don't have that edge yet. Um, field goals, they were perfect on the night. So that's going to be a factor in close games also. But I thought Tennessee, from a special team standpoint, really sort of underwhelmed in this game. Wasn't expecting a ton, but it's clear they're still kind of in tryout mode for who's going to be their punt and kick returner. Man, it was great to have uh, a game day back in Knoxville. We had the chance to go down, as Chad mentioned. Uh, great time with Spire Sports uh, in in what was going on uh, in Knoxville this past week. And uh, you mentioned the renovations, Chad. The, the, the Vols and what they did, my biggest impression of Neyland Stadium is that end zone with the standing room only, the deck, and uh, the, the impressive video board now on the opposite side of the field, uh, which was well needed. I, I'm, I'm now intrigued on what phase two could look like with all the renovations that took place this offseason. I know there were some complaints about people getting into the stadium uh, with it being all digital now, no paper tickets for anyone. There was a bit of a delay at times. I know trying to get up into, this is a humble brag, I promise, trying to get up into the suite level <laughs> that I had a bit of an issue with my, my ticket on my phone, that they had to go find a manager to come back and do something on their app to get it to scan for me to go up. Um, but yeah, all in all, Neyland Stadium looked great. Uh, I thought for an opening night, weather was perfect. Hutton. We had a great day in Knoxville, able to do our Outkick 360 show from, from Old City Sports Bar. Terrific atmosphere. Game day operations did a good job. Enjoyed the light show at halftime of that game as well. So one for one in that department. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive into the Tennessee Titans and Harold Landry's ACL tear, what it means for the Titans' defense in week one against the Giants this Sunday. But when we come back, why does the pass rush have a chance to look better this week against Pitt compared to what they did against Ball State? We'll start there, and Chad has four players that are key in the matchup this weekend. That's next on the Tennessee Power Hour. Presented by Nelson's Greenbrier, Tennessee Whistler. The Tennessee Power Hour. Get Chad Withrow's breakdown of this week's big orange matchup next. 
Cheers, huh? Cheers, Withrow. And cheers to brothers Andy and Charlie Nelson. After a chance encounter, they dedicated their lives to resurrecting the family business, Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery. And what they found is that whiskey runs in their blood. Made in Nashville, Tennessee, Greenbrier Tennessee whiskey is a taste of home with a real Nashville story. Head to GreenbrierDistillery.com for cocktail recipes and more info. Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey and Nelson Brothers Bourbon now available throughout the great state of Tennessee. So ask for it at your favorite store. Get you some Greenbrier. Nelson's Greenbrier reminds you to drink responsibly. Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey, 45.5% alcohol by volume. Don't pay too much for your new Ford. Custom order it from Two Rivers Ford just outside Nashville. Two Rivers Ford is the premier volume Ford dealer in Tennessee. They've been locally owned since 1983, and they sell all their new non-specialty Fords at just 1% over invoice. That's right, 1% over invoice. They treat you right, and you'll always get the best price. I know because my family has been buying from them for years. So call Two Rivers Ford today at toll-free 800-900-1000. From Nashville to Knoxville. Ball's news and analysis on the Tennessee Power Hour. It's the Tennessee Power Hour, served up by Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey. Uh, love their product, Chad, and love that they're a part of the Tennessee Power Hour. It just fits. We love the Nelson Brothers. We love their product, the, the Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey, the Nelson Brothers Bourbon. We love it all. We've partaken with it all. And we love the family atmosphere of that company and everything that they've done. So, Perfect partnership with the Tennessee Power Hour, Hodden. And a, a big thank you as well to Two Rivers Ford and John Barker and all of their support with this. You can join the show as well. We have one opening available for partnership. Hit us up on social media. The pass rush for the Vols needs to come up big against a new-look quarterback for Pitt this weekend. Not nearly as mobile as Slovis compared to what we saw a year ago with Kenny Pickett, Chad. Yeah, and um, he got, you said, new-look quarterback. He got plenty of looks at the grass at whatever they're calling Heinz Field now up in Pittsburgh in game number one. Sacked six times against West Virginia in game number one for Keaton Slovis. Look, Ball State was never going to do a lot of drop back, you know, five, seven-step drop, sit-in-the-pocket type stuff. They're going to do that with Pitt in this offense. So Byron Young, Tyler Barron, some of these Tennessee pass rushers are going to have a great opportunity to get after Keaton Slovis and this Pittsburgh offense and really put them behind the eight ball in this game. I expect Tennessee to send more pressure packages against Pitt. You're going to see a lot more things attempted by Tim Banks in this defense in game number two. But just by nature, Keaton Slovis, not a great runner. Uh, he can get away from people. He's got some mobility. But he is a guy who is going to take some sacks. And I think Tennessee needs to get to him in this game. Well, I mean, Pickett last year had about 400 yards on scrambles. And Slovis at USC had around 50 yards. I mean, he does not move all that well, comparatively speaking, well, to what we saw from this offense a year ago. And go back to that game a year ago, um, and I'm, I'm replaying in my mind right now, I feel like there were four or five times where Kenny Pickett really had nothing on a third and long and scrambled for 12 yards in a first down, for 15 yards in a first down. He was key in that game with his feet. Not going to see as much of that with Slovis. Let's put it this way. If we're seeing that with Slovis, it's because Tennessee has completely abandoned one side of the field and someone has missed an assignment if he's running down the field. 
Pass protection will also be tested for the first time because, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Tennessee didn't have to do all that much to protect Hooker. I mean, if Tennessee had a hard time with their five guys protecting three Ball State pass rushers, they've got bigger problems. Uh, Gerald Mincy, I thought, was the better of the two with J.J. Crawford at left tackle. He's going to be a key in this game. I, I feel pretty good, Hutton, and I'd, I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts about the rest of that offensive line, especially some of the veteran guys in the interior with Carvin, uh, with Mays at center. I like what they have with Darnell Wright at right tackle. He gets to slide back over to his natural position. He's played some left tackle for Tennessee also. I like Javante Spragans at guard as well. But this is going to be a, a much different test in this game. They did not really pass that test a year ago. I think both Hendon Hooker and Joe Milton bailed Tennessee out a little bit with their legs last year because I don't think the offensive line played that great. They're going to get another chance to prove themselves in this game against a Pat Narduzzi defense that's going to try a lot. Well, and they bring it. You know, they're, they're going to they're going to blitz. They're going to bring a, a lot of different looks up front. Um, and, and the pressure rate, as far as getting pressure on the quarterback, last year they averaged 20 quarterback pressures a game. Uh, that's, that's tough to do. Uh, that keeps the stat guy busy up top. Um, we're going to learn a lot about this Tennessee offensive line. And you know, to, to a man, um, Hutton, you know, every Tennessee player, they're, they're talking throughout the week of, with media availability, and they have repeated to everyone, this was the most confusing game of the year last season. From a front standpoint, from what they were doing on third down, from twists and stunts and everything happening on that defense, they never got completely comfortable knowing what they were doing with Pitt. I expect to see a complete change-up from even that strategy from a year ago from Pat Narduzzi. Four players who are key against Pitt for the Tennessee Volunteers. Chad, let's start. Hutton, let's start with the mystery man, Jawan Mitchell. We heard about this on the way into the game on Thursday night. He's unavailable for the game. No explanation. We think it's probably an injury. We don't really know. But he's not been made available. Josh Heupel earlier this week saying... We'll know late in the week if he's available or not. He's supposed to be a big part of Tennessee's linebacking core. This was a big part of it a year ago. He gets hurt in game one against Bowling Green and I think re-injured it in game two in this Pittsburgh game. But Jawan Mitchell, to me, he's key. First off, is he going to play? Um, but if he's playing, this is his first action of the year where all these other guys have at least seen a, a little bit of game action against Ball State. So... How does he hold up against Pittsburgh's offense? Key player number one. Key player number two, I'm going to stay on defense. Byron Young looks like an NFL pass rusher. I'm field level on, on Thursday night. I mean, he fits the mold for what you want to see physically. And he's got the speed. He's got the get-off ability to get off a block and get to the quarterback. We got to see more from Byron Young in this game. He needs to show. He needs to pop against Pittsburgh and Keaton Slovis, a guy who's going to hold the ball for a while. So Byron Young, Jawan Mitchell on defense, on offense. I think it's going to be Gerald Mincy's show going up against Pitt. This is a vulnerable spot for Tennessee. Left tackle against Kalijah Clancy and some other guys on Pittsburgh's front. They're going to move them all over uh, different guys on that front five, that offensive line for Tennessee. They're going to test Gerald Mincy. 
Enormous test for this young man in this game against Pitt. He's an offensive lineman I'm watching. And second on offense, Hutton, a guy we've already talked about, Brew McCoy. Let's see what he's got. Three catches, 42 yards. I liked what I saw every time they targeted him in this game. I, I, I get a sense this could be the breakout performance for Brew McCoy. We could see a multiple touchdown game from McCoy in this one. I, I, I think, call it a hunch, call it whatever you want. We just saw a little sneak peek of what's to come in game number one. I think Brew McCoy has a breakout performance in this game. And it feels like one of those physical games, and he certainly fits the, fits the mold for what that would require of a wide receiver. We, we saw a couple of SEC. By the way, if he breaks out and has two or more touchdowns, Hutton, we will play this segment back next right. <laughs> week on the Power Hour. If he does nothing, we'll never mention it again. We'll move him to tight end. Yes. Uh, we saw a couple of SEC teams thrive in close games. It was uh, Florida and Arkansas certainly did, and then one failed in LSU. Chad, Tennessee won just one close game a year ago. They should get a chance at a close win on Saturday. Yeah, let's let's quickly recap last season for Tennessee. They lost an L-biter to Ole Miss where we saw um, uh, Joe Milton run out of bounds on the last play of the game, right, with a chance to go to the end zone. They lost a close game to Pitt in this game we're going to see that this upcoming week. Um, Hendon Hooker throws an interception on the final drive. Drive before that, Tennessee's down on the goal line about to take the lead or tie, and they get a bad spot, but then they get stuffed on fourth and one and turn it over on downs, and then they fail on the next attempt also. And then uh, Purdue, at the end of the year, back and forth game, Tennessee had a lead in the second half, could not stop Purdue. They end up losing 48-45 in overtime of a controversial game. They got Kentucky. That was their one close game they won all season. That ratio needs to improve this year. Chance number one is, is this Saturday. I'll be shocked if this isn't a tight game, right? That's one thing that'll surprise me is if one team blows out the other in this one. Tennessee's going to have an opportunity in this game. They need to close the door. They need to be 1-0 and in close games. If this game is, in fact, close, and I think it will be, they need to be 1-0 and in close games after this weekend. That was one area they didn't do so well last year. The other games, they either blew out their opponent or they got blown out in the game. So this is test number one in that in that department. It's intriguing because Joe Milton last year in this game, I mean, Tennessee had the chance to break the door wide open against Pitt a couple of different times. And there are two reasons why that didn't happen to me. Number one, Joe Milton could not hit his layups and he couldn't hit the deep ball. Uh, number two, there is no such thing as a four-minute offense in Josh Heupel's offensive play calling. And there were times where if you just slow it down and don't give the ball back to Kenny Pickett, I would take that as points on the board for my sideline because I'm draining the clock of what Pickett has to work with um, early in that fourth quarter. They, to me, that, that's where there, there has to be a little semblance of, okay, let's slow things down and use the clock to our advantage because I do think that the, the Vols will have an opportunity um, to, to cash in early. And the question is, is their defense going to get a couple more stops than what they did a year ago? And if they don't, that's when you have to slow things down and eat clock. Yeah, and look, if Tennessee's ever up two possessions in this game and they have the ball, even if it's 10, I'm with you, Hudden. Let, let's see a four-minute drive instead of a minute 38 drive, right? <laughs> or a two-and-a-half-minute drive. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't that be great? I mean, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily have to worry about extending the TV timeout on the extra point if you go four minutes instead of a minute and a half. So can Tennessee play at that, that pace? 
Now, I'll worry about that when they have a lead. Play fast. Knock them on their heels. Do what you do. That's your identity to start this game. But if you get a lead, can you play a little bit slower? And a year ago, Joe Milton, we all remember, airmailing two yeah. or three sure touchdowns in this game. Did not have the touch. Uh, was not on time with his throws. He also had like a 73-yard run in that game against Pitt. So it wasn't all bad. Joe Milton looked really good. I thought he looked better, more under control, more with the offense. Granted, it's against Ball State and some of their backups on Thursday night. But Hutton, what if the reverse happens in this game? Hendon Hooker came in because of a Joe Milton injury and took off, right? I'm not saying Joe Milton's going to come in and take Hendon Hooker's job the way he's played with a much bigger body of work. But at some point this season, Hendon Hooker's going to get banged up and Joe Milton's going to have to be the guy for some amount of time. Does it happen in this game? Where is it going to happen? But even if it does, I don't know about you, but I feel like Joe Milton's much more equipped to handle it. Coming up, we switch gears on the Tennessee Power Hour. The Titans kick off the 2022 season this Sunday at Nissan Stadium against the New York football giants. We preview that matchup on the Tennessee Power Hour, served up by Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey. From Knoxville to Nashville, Titans news and analysis on the Tennessee Power Hour. Out of the gates and ready to go. How differently are we looking at Florida-Kentucky now based off week one results with Florida upsetting? And people upset. It, by Vegas standards, a very small upset, but still yeah. an upset for Florida. And then Kentucky really struggling. I mean, I know the final score looks good for the Wildcats, but they really struggled in the first half of that game. Kentucky's going to be good, and they're going to be good on defense. I think in large part, many of the running backs in this league are sort of plug-and-play. That Kentucky offense revolves around Rodriguez. With all the accolades for Will Levis and people saying he's going to be a top pick, I don't see it because of his inconsistency. That's not a quarterback-led team. That's a running back-led team. On offense, I think they're going to struggle badly in the swamp. Outkick 360. Weekday afternoons on your home for the Outkick Network. The Tennessee Power Hour. Get Jonathan Hutton's breakdown of this week's Titans matchup next. This is the Tennessee Power Hour with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. Let's talk some Titans here on the Tennessee Power Hour served up by Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey. This Titans Talk segment brought to you by our friends at Two Rivers Ford. Two Rivers Ford, Tennessee's premier volume Ford dealer who sells all non-specialty new Fords at just 1% over invoice. Custom order your new Ford from Two Rivers Ford at 1-800-900-1000. Alongside Jonathan Hutton, I'm Chad Withrow. Hutton, some bad news last week for the Titans. And it is the talk of the state of Tennessee right now. How will the Tennessee Titans look without Harold Landry? News coming down torn ACL, out for the season. How big is that loss for the Titans' defense? Well, it's big. It's a huge loss for a defense that figured to be one of the top defenses in the NFL. And uh, it's very unfortunate that it happened in a practice before we even get to week one. It's brutal. Um, the, The pass rush, the best area of their team, quite frankly. Landry was the best off the edge pass rusher that the Titans have on their roster. In terms of athleticism, 
and availability. And we can compare him to, to Bud, Bud Dupree, but, but Chad, the where I, I give the edge to Landry is Landry's playing 90% of the snaps per game. He started three games his rookie year, and over the last three game, or th- three years, he is starting and playing 90% of all snaps. So when you compare him to anyone else on defense on that front, he's out there. And it is very difficult to, to play that many reps at that high pace, and he was doing that at such a, a good level last year. He's a player that the Titans have developed on their own that they identified as a fringe first-round pick, fell to them in the second round, and it turned into a, a guy that they were going to, to dedicate a ton of money to and a ton of salary cap room to. And unfortunately, you know, you, they do everything they can to keep these guys healthy. And right before week one, in a non-contact situation, in a practice, here he is jogging around or whatever he was doing, and uh, blew out his ACL. It reminds me of years ago, Peter Sermon doing the exact same thing from the linebacker spot in a practice. Keith Bullock was just setting his feet in one of the early matchups of that season where he tore his ACL, blew it out, non-contact. It's, it's unexplainable, but here's Vrabel and company back to the drawing board to find an answer for Harold Landry off the edge. And some of the best things we've seen from Mike Vrabel, Hutton, over the years has been when his back's up against the wall, getting creative. When it seems like the Titans are down and out, he figures out a way, seemingly every time. Is Rashad Weaver that way right now for the Titans? And what are the odds that he can adequately fill that spot? Well, he's going to be good. I mean, he he has been good whenever he's had the opportunity to play. But the difference between Weaver and Landry, and this this is no knock on Rashad Weaver. He's very good at this. He is an all-effort, relentless, physical pass rusher. Landry's got, as, as Coach Mack described to him years ago in the draft, the motorcycle lean. Now, he's got a little bit more bend to him. By the way, I'll never forget that phrase. Land, Ever yeah, again, know, because perfect. of Coach Mack. The it's motorcycle perfect. lean on the pass rusher. Yes. You know, he can rip and lean forward, keep his balance, and get to the quarterback uh, in multiple ways. And then he had added to his arsenal to, to the bag of tricks over the last couple of years with a different move, the, the, the counter move to what everyone was preparing for. Weaver's just the bull in a china shop. And... He gets to the quarterback in that way. He has success in that. Can he do that for 60 snaps a game? Because I'm here to tell you there's one man on earth I've witnessed do it in person, and his name's Kyle Vandenbosch, with that style. Relentless effort to get to the quarterback through the man that's in front of you. Weaver's going to be the first guy up. And, and Bud Dupree opposite him, we'll get to all of those pieces in a moment. But this is more about, I think, addition through um, multiple players. It's very similar uh, to how they replaced Derrick Henry a year ago, where it's it's by committee more than it is one specific guy. Weaver's the number one guy, but they're going to roll through Ola Denny and others to try to get some reps. Now, some, some fringe players that may have not been active on game day now are because they're going to rotate in to give some reps to get after the quarterback. Well, Hutton, you've been bullish on this Titans defense, and, and for good reason. How much does this change your stance on how good the defense could be? And how much of this answer relies on Mike Vrabel's ability and this roster's ability 
to plug and play in the loss of Harold Landry, even if, as you said, it's with multiple guys. It doesn't change my outlook on them being a top t- a top five scoring defense. They were, I mean, it was Landry and everyone else in, in terms of pass rush off the edge. I know some some of our listeners are thinking, well, there's Jeffrey Simmons. And I'm talking off the edge. Bud Dupree did not come into his own until the final month of the season. And really, the defense as a whole did not start going until October a year ago. They were ripped to shreds by Arizona. Um, and, and, I mean, those games count. But they the defense didn't really get cranking with Landry and company until uh, a couple weeks after week one. In this case, I'm expecting Bud Dupree to hit the ground running the same way he finished the season a year ago. Jeffrey Simmons has been the best player in joint practice work throughout uh, each of each of those meetings against the Cardinals and the Bucks. Chad, I, I'm still bullish on this because I think the secondary can come together and fit together in a in a way where it, it, I'm viewing this from a thirty thousand foot view. We're taking this as a healthy defense minus Landry. As I, I would be betting on the fact that Farley is going to improve and stay healthy. I would be bet, betting on the fact that Roger McCreary is going to step in and play a Malcolm Butler-like role at corner. And opposite that, Fulton, who has proven that he can play corner on the outside in the NFL, now becomes even more consistent in that role. Paired with a secondary and a safety group that is very talented, and uh, that's where their leadership comes from, with, with Kevin Byer, one of the best in the league. And Amani Hooker, who they are going to move around quite a bit, and who, if fans haven't noticed him yet, you will whenever he comes up and makes a run stop. I, I, I'm still bullish on it simply because they have depth on the defensive front, and the mentality doesn't change there. That's still how they're built, and I think the secondary benefits from it. Well, and you hit on something also in terms of pass rush. Bud Dupree starting a season healthy and ready to go could be a big lift for this team also that – could help negate some of the issues with not having Harold Landry. Yeah, but the, I think the bummer here is this is what they envisioned when they signed Bud Dupree, yeah, pairing both. him with Landry, and why they re-signed Landry to the max contract um, for, for for bringing him back. You know, they invested in him, and then you have the the free for all off the edge paired with Simmons, who's still in his rookie contract, and now they need Bud Dupree to to step in and be like he was in Pittsburgh. But keep in mind too, I mean, I understand the naysayers who say, yeah, Landry's a big loss because Bud Dupree came from a Pittsburgh defense where he was excellent. He played with TJ Watt opposite him. Yep. So it, it is it's coming at you from all sides. And I think now they've got to rely on Rashad Weaver and company to rotate in and give you that same type of look that Landry was going to in terms of getting the quarterback a bit nervous at the snap. Hutton, what is the Tennessee Titans' biggest strength going into the season? I, Well, if we're just looking at the side of the football, it's, it's defense. I think it's at safety with Bayard and Hooker. I would have said defensive front, and I think it's at safety with Bayard and Hooker with how they're going to mix and match in bogey now opposing quarterbacks and, and opposing offenses. But that's built on what Jeffrey Simmons is capable of up front. I don't think they could pull off what they want to without Simmons the same way Logan Ryan and that defense from 2018-2019, they're not pulling off that defense without Jarrell Casey getting eight, nine, ten sacks 
from the interior. It, it, the biggest strength is right up the middle, the backbone of their defense with Simmons, Cunningham, Bayard. And as long as that backbone stays straight and doesn't get crooked due to an injury, I think they'll be okay. I, I, it's not, it, not by any means time to hit the panic button because Landry's out. It's a big loss. But it's not detrimental to the Titans' goals, which it starts with winning the AFC South. And quickly, on sticking with defense, Titans' biggest weakness. Biggest weakness is at inside linebacker. I mentioned Cunningham, but after, I mean, there's no depth. There is zero depth after what we view to be a good starting core with Cunningham and with David Long. They need to get Monty Rice back, and the earliest he can be back is October because he's starting the season on the physically unable to perform list. And beyond that, I mean, they, they have some young up-and-comers, but, I mean, that, that's that's me being nice to them. I, I You do not want to see their depth on the field right now. And if they suffer an injury at the inside linebacker position, that's going to really have to uh, negate a lot of what maybe they're doing in the run game. Hey, we got a football game coming up this weekend for the Titans. They're taking on the New York football giants. We will preview that matchup when we come back. This is the Tennessee Power Hour served up by Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey. From Knoxville to Nashville, Titans news and analysis on the Tennessee Power Hour. Don't pay too much for your new Ford. Custom order it from Two Rivers Ford just outside Nashville. Two Rivers Ford is the premier volume Ford dealer in Tennessee. They've been locally owned since 1983, and they sell all their new non-specialty Fords at just 1% over invoice. That's right, 1% over invoice. They treat you right, and you'll always get the best price. I know because my family has been buying from them for years. So call Two Rivers Ford today at toll-free 800-900-1000. Cheers, huh? Cheers, Withrow. And cheers to brothers Andy and Charlie Nelson. After a chance encounter, they dedicated their lives to resurrecting the family business, Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery. And what they found is that whiskey runs in their blood. Made in Nashville, Tennessee, Greenbrier Tennessee whiskey is a taste of home with a real Nashville story. Head to GreenbrierDistillery.com for cocktail recipes and more info. Greenbrier Tennessee whiskey and Nelson Brothers bourbon now available throughout the great state of Tennessee. So ask for it at your favorite store. Get Get you some some Greenbrier. Nelson's Greenbrier reminds you to drink responsibly. Greenbrier Tennessee whiskey, 45.5% alcohol by volume. The Tennessee Power Hour. Get Jonathan Hutton's breakdown of this week's Titans matchup next. This is the Tennessee Power Hour with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. Titans taking on the Giants this coming Sunday, Nissan Stadium. And we're going to get you ready for it right now on episode two of the Tennessee Power Hour alongside Jonathan Hutton. I'm Chad Withrow. Tennessee Power Hour served up by our friends Andy and Charlie Nelson and Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey. And we are here every week. Every week. You can download the podcast wherever you find your audio. And if you're listening to this great radio partner, we appreciate that as well. Hit us up on Twitter at the Chad Withrow at Hutton Outkick. Let us know you're enjoying the Tennessee Power Hour. Our guy, uh, Colin, who's helping us out, uh, produced the show, did a good job with the logo. We are trying to church that logo up even more right now. So the logo will really catch the eye very soon. Colin, I promise I'm not making fun of your logo right now. It's fine for a beginning logo, but we're going to church that that bad boy up, and it's going to be even more appealing to the eye. 
Titans fans are hoping their offense, their team, is appealing to the eye yes. against a what should be a pretty bad Giants team this season. Hudman, we're looking at what to expect. Game number one, Giants, new coach, new play callers. Not a lot of experts out there picking the Giants to come no. to Nashville and beat the Titans. What concerns you, if anything, about this team? All right, well, let's start with when they're playing the Titans, week one. Ken Wisenhunt sucked. Well, he was awful. And he was pretty good at week one. He was unbeaten in week one as the head coach of the Tennessee Titans. Looked great against Tampa Bay and Jameis Winston one year to open the season. And against Kansas City and the yep. Chiefs. Against Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. So, Titans fans, you know, as you start to place your bets, be careful because week one is weird. Now, last year in week one, that was a different vibe. And you know I was feeling a, a, a potential terrible start for the Titans because I was high on Arizona. I'm not high on this Giants team. This is a game. This is a Giants team that I feel like would be on par with some of the worst teams last year. But there are unknowns. You mentioned a new head coach and, and Brian Dable. He's not calling plays. It's now his offensive coordinator, Mike Kafka, calling plays for the New York Giants. Kafka was with Kansas City, just to tie that back in. He was with Andy Reid. And if Eric Bieniemy ever left for one of these head coaching jobs, Mike Kafka would have been the guy to step in and be the offensive coordinator in Kansas City. So dangling the carrot of, hey, come to New York and call plays, Brian Dayball did a great job with that in Buffalo. Mike Kafka is going to be calling plays on Sunday for the Giants. Defensive coordinator is Wink Martindale, who was let go as the D.C. He's in very Baltimore. Very good. They are going to blitz. This offensive line will be tested. They're going to overload. They're going to give bogey looks. It's a major test for a veteran offensive line whenever you're facing a Wink Martindale defense, let alone a, an offensive line that's you know trying to figure out some things at multiple positions. Last year, Martindale would not change what he was doing, and the offenses that he was facing started gashing him, increasing him, and ultimately that's why he's not in Baltimore anymore. But this is a defense that will bring it from all angles, any time, any down, downs one through three. So I, I bring that up because last year in week one, the issue was pass protection. And Lawan wasn't feeling it. Well, now you've got questions about the right side of their offensive line, and you have a young Giants defense with their best player being Ojolari rushing off the edge. Chad, this, this should be a win for the Tennessee Titans. I say should be because... They're better. But week one is where you can throw out all your bag of tricks, and you've been preparing for that team for four months. So get get ready for a couple of different looks maybe that we haven't seen. And it's going to be a variation of Buffalo, Kansas City on offense, and uh, Baltimore on defense. The good news, though, the New York Giants are not the Buffalo Bills or the Baltimore Ravens. So they don't have the same personnel. So they can be the best play callers. They do not have the same personnel top to bottom. Hun, we love to capitalize the word THE on this show. So I will ask you, what is, in all caps, THE matchup to watch in this football game? Saquon Barkley versus potentially Kevin Byard, potentially Molden, maybe McCreary. So it's Saquon Barkley when he split out wide. If you think about what Buffalo did with their running backs, they didn't have much of a run game. 
but they would split guys out and go five wide with Josh Allen. They'd motion a guy back inside. They're going to give Saquon Barkley the football because he's their best player on offense, not just through the run game. They they are going to split him out and then motion him back in and try to get a man zone declaration based off of what the defense is doing. And Daniel Jones is going to distribute the football fast. It's how they end up defending Saquon Barkley. I think the Titans are equipped to do it well with their secondary personnel and with some speed that they can use. They do not want the one-on-one matchups, however, with them. The one-on-one tackling matchups with him because that, that that's where I think he can really get off to a good start. And he is motivated. Um, he has not held back on... He, he wants to prove a point as to why he's in New York, as to why he deserves the contract that he has, as to why he should be a focal point and why he's not a bust due to injury. I... I, I point and I circle Saquon Barkley as the matchup for the Tennessee Titans. Hutton, no A.J. Brown. That's been the talk of, yeah. of the offseason. Lots of unknowns, new faces, Robert Woods, Traylon Burks, Kyle Phillips. Pass-catching targets are going to be very different. Austin Hooper for the Titans this year. What do you expect to see from the Titans offensively, given all of those unknowns? It's a great question. I'm, I'm expecting... A heavy dose of tight ends. I think Austin Hooper is a great fantasy football play this weekend because I think they get him involved early and often. we got a couple of drafts coming up, so yeah. I appreciate the advice. Chigaquanquo, uh, their rookie tight end out of Maryland, also uh, will play a factor in this, as will Jeff Swain. They're going to go heavy tight end and heavy Derek Henry. Henry out of the gate. We have not seen him. We are about to. Because they are going to give him the football and try to control the clock and play their style. I All mean, this, rise. This is very similar to to what we've seen in years past, where they they load up, they want to um, explode off the line of scrimmage uh, with their run and and get Henry going and stack the box, have defenses stack the box, and then get some one on one coverage on the outside. Uh, Traylon Burks, they they have to find a way to get him involved, and I, I, that doesn't have to be a 50-yard a, a bomb down the sideline. We've seen him. They've tried it in the preseason, get him involved on jet sweeps and other things. I, I do think they want to spread it around a bit, Chad, but they're not as deep as any anywhere close to as deep. And they weren't deep last year, really, at wide receiver. And I think because of that, they're going heavy tight end. They're going to load it up, and they're going to give it to their, their bulldozer. They're going to give it to Derrick Henry and and allow their tight ends to do most of the, the pass catching. As a high school football broadcaster once said that I listened to on a show, sometimes you just have to load the wagon, and that's what the Titans <laughs> have to do at times with Derrick Henry. Hey, one, one other thing just to mention of what we may see offensively, we may see Josh Gordon in this game. Yeah, uh, It's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, Mike Vrabel said earlier this week that he was going to see what Gordon brought to practice this week to determine whether or not they would they would elevate him on game day on Saturday. Um, th- this will be this will be a wide receiving group that they're going to continue to tinker with because after week one the salaries become weekly. It's not locked in contractually for the full guaranteed eighteen week season. So I, I think after week one we see a veteran added there, just like we may see it at pass rush. And hunting on defense, there's going to be opportunities to take advantage in this game against this Giants offense. Really good Titans defense. Where do you see them dominating this football game defensively? 
Um, whoever is trying to block Jeffrey Simmons, may God have mercy on your soul. Uh, th- this is where the Titans can truly dominate the New York Giants. They're not good on the offensive line. They're potentially starting two rookies in this game. And they have uh, Mark Glowinski, who has now joined them at right guard, who was not good at guard for the Indianapolis Colts, and the Titans know him well. Uh, John Feliciano is back. Um, he is a, uh, a, a at center. But they, they, they've tried to tinker and, and help out their quarterback. I think they're going to get... A Daniel, a version of Daniel Jones that's a similar version in the run game of Josh Allen. I think they're getting him on the move and, and try to use his. That's mobility. where the similarities end, though. That right? is exactly where they okay, end. Okay, good. Um, because I think this Titans defense gets after him, frustrates him, and if they stop Saquon Barkley, they win this game fairly easily. Also, can't think of two schools more culturally different than Duke and Wyoming when you look at Daniel Jones versus Josh Allen. Hutton prediction time. Titans, it. Giants, I'll go first. I think the Titans win 24-14 to 14 in a game where they're going to score a defensive touchdown. And even though they're going to cover the spread in this game at home, Titans fans are going to be happy about the win, but it's a performance that will leave more questions than answers going into week two. But I think the Titans get it done. That's fair. I... I think this is a tight ball game in the fourth quarter, 20-13 to 13 with a late touchdown for the Titans that makes it 27-13 the final in week one. It feels closer than what it is on the scoreboard at the end. I think Kyle Phillips has a big return that sets up the offense with short field position and allows them to go in and get a, a score early in this game. Beyond that, this is Derrick Henry getting his wheels back underneath him, and I think this is a sign that the Titans are – are very similar to the Titans of 2020. They're going to run Henry, run Henry, and then try to get five, six, seven yards, and maybe a bit of the the yak, the yards after catch. 27-13, Titans start 1-0. 27-13? 27-13. Hutton's going 27-13, Titans. I'm going 24-14, Titans. We are moving on to Episode 3 next week of the Tennessee Power Hour. Thank you so much for listening to Episode 2. Thanks to Colin Warner, our producer. Thanks to our presenting sponsor, Nelson's Greenbrier Tennessee Whiskey. We'll be back next week with Tennessee Power Out.